As you might guess, with the Yuma First Church reopening project now on the short horizon, there are varied reactions to the requirements and the restrictions. Well, let me put it another way. There are various smiles, shouts of joy, and celebrations, as well as there are scowls and furrowed brows, and there's even complaining, all while we get ourselves prepared to diligently adhere to all of the procedures necessary. Why? Well, most importantly, for lovingly protecting the most vulnerable among us. Now, let me, rem let me remind you that while we're in the neighborhood, there will be no lame arguments about face coverings along partisan lines, okay? Ouch, I hope that didn't hurt too much. Well, I am happy to report that most of our Yuma First folks are so pleased with the coming opportunities that they're turning inside out now that we can finally get together to do anything regardless of what it is. I'm so encouraged by the positive attitudes about gathering together again, even if it's small, very controlled groups, gathering to see each other. And as someone said to me just recently, and I'm quoting him, I so look forward to seeing my friends' faces and especially to hearing all their voices again. So honestly, what is the best way to allow God to prepare each one of us for the brand new world that's waiting for us? And as a faithful follower of Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, how can we ensure that we do no harm, as John Wesley would say, how can we ensure that we, one, do no harm, and two, stay in love with God and stay in love with each other during this process? Well, I heard someone say the other day, and I'm going to explain this. I'm going to give me a minute to unpack it. They said, at a time like this, we can be a well. That's W-E-L-L. -L. We can be a well. So what on earth does you and me being a well mean? I'm reading today from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The heading here is Jesus in Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a, a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked him, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews and Samaritans, they did not associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would be giving you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and I will never need to come here again to draw water. Jesus said to her, Get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You have spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ the one sent by God, and when he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who speaks with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, coming to us today from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I know it's been a while since we studied the Apostle John's writings, So let's take another look at what makes this gospel unique as it graphically depicts the often enigmatic and most holy characteristics of Jesus of Nazareth. And although, honestly, we could talk for the next hour about the unique nature of the gospel of John, let's just cut to the chase, especially for today. Simply said, the Apostle John is a master of presenting cameos, of painting word pictures of curious, and might I add, these people are always notable characters who bring out the profile of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One. They bring out the characteristics of the Christ sent by God. Actually, this Messiah that the Samaritan woman just referred to in today's scripture reading. Well, let me give me a minute. Let me point out the cast of characters that I'm actually referring to here. Early on in the Gospel of John, you're going to see Philip and Nathaniel. They always point to Jesus of Nazareth as God's Messiah, the Christ. Then there's Mother, excuse me. Then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here, she depicts Jesus as one with power and authority, the one who will make things right. Then there's Nicodemus. You remember him from John chapter 3? 
Nicodemus is the one who uncovers the enigmatic, heavenly, and all-knowing natures of Jesus. There's the crippled man waiting beside the pool. Yes, Jesus, the mysterious, ever-present healer, is brought forth in this story. There's the woman caught in adultery. You know that story of Jesus getting down and kneeling down and taking his finger and writing in the sand? That's the story I'm referring to here. This powerful portrait, this cameo, clearly depicts the Jesus who seeks justice for all. And then there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus. This is the Bethany family who tenderly reveals the commitment and endearing compassion of Jesus. There's Pilate, the fearful, cocky politician who's, genuinely, who's genuinely scared to death of losing his comfortable retirement package. There's Judas. Judas is the perennial scapegoat for all of us who betray Jesus. And of course, there's Peter the Rock. Peter is the poster child for what it really means to be genuinely human in one's everyday quest to follow Jesus. Well, everybody knows about Thomas, and Thomas still to this day represents the doubter in every one of us. There's Mary Magdalene, whose life is rocked to the core when in her deep, painful sadness, she hears her name called by the resurrected Lord posing as a gardener. Now, next to the star of this gospel, next to Jesus as the star of this gospel, is the Apostle John himself, the beloved. You know, if you look closely, John is the only one, according to John's pen, who fully understands the complete identity of this guy named Jesus. Of course, and finally in today's story, there's the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman is a foreigner, sometimes called a mongrel. Yes, an illegal alien caught by surprise by the Messiah, the one she's been waiting for, for her whole life. I also found some interesting things revealed this week in the Enduring Word Commentary. Here's just a couple of uh, historical and scholarly um, uh, facts and figures for your bookshelves. Just to remind you about the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans had a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of commands and rituals from the law of Moses put together with various superstitions. Most of the Jews in Jesus' time totally despised the Samaritans, disliking them even more than Gentiles because they were religiously speaking half-breeds who had an, an eclectic mongrel faith. The Samaritans built their very own temple to Yahweh on, on Mount Gerizim. Not Jerusalem, but Mount Gerizim. Uh, but the Jews burned it to the ground around 128 BC. This obviously made relations between the Jews and the Samaritans from then on even worse. So the scripture says that Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar or Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, wrote John. 
Hmm, quite a pointed reference here to a well, don't you think? So what do we know about this very crucial landmark? And what could have been John's rationale for kind of zooming in on this location and zooming in on this well? Well, this well in the general area of this location is where Abram first came when he arrived into Canaan from Babylonia. When God first appeared to Abram, remember Abraham's original name was Abram, when God first appeared to him in uh, Canaan and renewed that promise of giving the land to him and, and his descendants in Genesis 12, it was right here at this location. This location is also where Jacob came safely when he returned with his wives and children from his journeys. This location is where Jacob bought a piece of land from a Canaanite named Hamor for 100 pieces of silver. This same location where Jacob built is where Jacob built an altar to the Lord. This established the connection between Jacob and what became known as Jacob's well there in Sychar. This was the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph land that Jacob had conquered from the Amorites with his sword and his bow in an unrecorded battle. This location is where the bones of Joseph were actually buried when they were carried up from Egypt. You men who have been uh, attending the Zoom Bible study on Thursday mornings, you're going to remember that. This is also where Joshua made a covenant with Israel renewing their commitment to the God of Israel and proclaiming, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was right here at this location. So as we remember in our review today of the unique qualities of this gospel, why would we be pondering the possibility of you and I being a well? A well. W-E-L-L, right. Where would that possibly be coming from, especially this week? Well, pun intended, it all started a couple weeks ago with the Brownie Bryant pack gathering on the floor in our bedroom in the parsonage for what we call our nightly pack devo. Pack devo. In other words, our pack gets together for our nightly devotional. Well, Wendy was what we call the spiritual director that night, and she shared from our favorite book a marvelous meditation about a person who knew she was clearly called during a very tense, tough situation to be a steady, loving, grace-filled, peaceful presence of God's abiding love in the world, especially to and with all those within her reach. On Being a Well was the title. Of her story. She went on in her meditation to illustrate that all who faithfully follow Jesus are called and empowered to be a well, to be a reservoir of the beautiful gifts that God gives you. Yeah, I'm talking about the gifts that we are all called to sow like seeds, to distribute to the people that we meet every day in the world around us. And it was then at that moment that I had one of those aha moments. Why? Because, as I mentioned a moment ago, believe it or not, the church reopening procedures already underway have been met with criticism and pushback. 
And I'm convinced that with all the exciting yet earth-shaking challenges that are still before us, that being a well, being a consistent source of God's grace, love, gratitude, wisdom, hope, and joy, all adds up to both you and me, sowing seeds of holiness, sowing seeds of confidence, sowing seeds of trust in the God who is, without a question, calling us at Yuma First back together again. So as we move forward, seeking to do no harm, seeking to stay in love with God and with each other, how can you and I be a well? How can you and I be a rich source of God's abundant grace for all those within our reach? How can we be a source of strength, faithfulness, care, and wisdom? And how can we continue to strive for safety, especially as we keep in mind all the time those most vulnerable among us? And in what way does you and me, being a well, I mean, honestly, concentrating on being a well of holiness, make a way for the Yuma First Church to fulfill God's plan, the plan he has for us. I mean a well of grace, a well of gratitude, a well of wisdom, a well of peace, a well of compassion, a well of safekeeping, and a well of Christ, our Savior, who alone is the source of abundant living water. I'm offering a big challenge today, my friends. I understand it's going to seem to fit right on, or fit right in with the way a lot of people are already thinking. I know that. But for some, it's going to be a challenge. So here it is. Would you please join me today on being a well? Be a well. A well offering God's abundant life to those who attend Yuma First Church reopening events. Whether we attend the small group events that are meeting for the most part on campus, or if we attend larger group gatherings where we'll meet outdoors in the foothills for Sunday morning worship services starting November 8th, or especially when we are on the phone or sending emails to our friends and we're discussing the new changes and the burdensome requirements at the church. Please, my friends, I'm inviting you, I'm asking you, I'm urging you, seek to be a well, a well of peace, a well of grace, a well of safety, a well of compassion, a well of wisdom and love. In fact, trust me on this one. I believe this firmly. Many wonderful, positive, beautiful, and holy things will spring forth from you and me being a well. I leave you with these questions one more time. Exactly what needs to happen for me to be a well a well of grace, love, gratitude, wisdom, peace, and forgiveness for all those within my reach? How can I be a source of strength, 
faithfulness, care, and wisdom. While together we pursue safety, especially for the most vulnerable among us. And in what way does me, being a well of holiness, make a way for Yuma First Church to fulfill, to achieve the wonderful new and very exciting things God has planned for each one of us? Now let's stop for a moment. Allow me to challenge you again. Honestly, are you hearing me today? I know without a doubt that being a well of God's grace, a well of God's gratitude and wisdom and hope and joy, will empower every one of us. Indeed, if we will only let it happen, together we will sow seeds of holiness. We will sow seeds of confidence and trust in the God who is calling us back together again. And just in case you missed it, be assured that God is fully behind what we are doing to reopen the Yuma First Church. So may it be. So may it be. Amen. God bless.